Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trigiani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And I'm Elizabeth Reed. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating happy, healthy, beautiful homes that prepare us to fly. And the theme this week, Elizabeth, secret parenting. How do you secretly parent? How fascinating. (laughs) I know. You don't tell anybody at work that you have kids. And Elizabeth, this is a thing. This is a thing. So I was going through, I was reading an article in Fast Company, and... I just This just intrigued me so much because it hits me on a couple of different levels. And it was an essay written by a woman who's in college. She's about to graduate. And she was talking about the fact that her mom, who was a freelance writer, never talked about her at work, never mentioned that she had kids. She wrote this. It wasn't until I was eight years old that I found out that her coworkers didn't even know that I existed. The first time I remember realizing this was when mom took me with her job to pick up a check from a local magazine where she was the business editor. One of the publishers, upon seeing my sister and me, said, Whose kids are these? No. It felt like a slap in the face. Learning that my mom didn't acknowledge my existence felt like she didn't want me to exist. So I thought this is really interesting. And then she goes on to talk about the why of it. And now that she's older, she understands the complications for many working mothers in the business place talking about their children. Because she says that her mom was a really engaged mom. Her mom was like super into being a mother and loved her and took care of her and all of these wonderful things, but had felt like she had to keep her motherhood very separate from her working woman life. Yeah, and you've been a working mom all the way through. You didn't you took other than maternity leave, you went right back to work. I did. Has, has this ever been anything and I kind of know the answer. Has this ever been anything a pressure that you ever felt? You're in sort of an interesting position because you're so public. You can definitely see if I'm pregnant on yes. television. <laughs> So no it would be challenging for me unless we pulled like some sort of old school sitcom thing where we just like <laughs> put a potted plant in front of my stomach or had me always do a cooking segment behind a table that was a little taller. Right. Maybe that would have sort of like Sort of like Phoebe on Friends when, right. when the actress got pregnant. Exactly. No, I felt obviously, it, you know, for me it was almost the opposite where I have to set up boundaries in terms of how much of my motherhood I share. Right. And so it's so the opposite of pretending my children don't exist. I mean, that's certainly not an option. For me, it's kind of like, okay, what parts of my life do I be deliberate about keeping private and keeping within our family? That being said, I can totally relate to this idea, though, of feeling like 
becoming a mother makes your working life much more challenging. Oh, yeah. So feeling, you know, and depending on the industry that you're in and also depending on the time that you were a mother. I mean, me being a mother now is also much different than even it was 20 years ago. Yeah. Being a mom in the workplace is looked at totally differently today than it was then. And so I can imagine, I bet for you, Marjorie, there were times like at CNN, I mean, it couldn't have been looked at as a positive thing that you had kids, did it? You know, here's what's interesting. When I was at CNN, I was the only one on my team that had children. Yeah. And my kids were like five and three. So I, I, w- I had, you know, beyond babies already. And it was funny because my first entree into CNN was as a freelancer filling in for a woman who was leaving for maternity leave. And so that's sort of how I got my first gig there. And then they hired me full time. But the team that I was on, none of those people had kids, the loveliest people you could have ever imagined. And I think I could have shared and been much more forthright with the fact that I had kids with that immediate team. My executive producer, who I really, really liked, was a little bit more intimidating to me. And so I think in I, – I can tell you for sure there were no pictures of my kids in my office, not one. Whoa, really? Oh, no, 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 no. That was not – it was not – And I can't tell now in retrospect how much was my self-consciousness of feeling like I can do this job. It's a pretty stressful job. How much it was just me being self-conscious about nobody was talking about kids. That just wasn't a thing. So I didn't bring any pictures. I generally didn't talk very much about my family life. The one thing that I do remember is, and, and mind you, I really, really liked my executive producer, but I remember going in, we produced day of. So we would book guests and then the show would go live at three o'clock. So Elizabeth, you're in television. You know how stressful that is. Yeah, absolutely. You're and going it's really in, stressful if you're booking them that day. That I mean, day. We're, booking our, we're going live at three o'clock, but we've booked guests <laughs> yeah. a couple days before. No, we're a new show. So we have to move with the new cycle. So we were booking day of. And I remember, I think I've told the story before, at least I know I've told you, is my son Campbell was having his Mother's Day tea at his preschool. And his preschool was right up the street. I mean, everything about our life was me being close to the kids. I lived about 12 minutes from work. Their preschool was about seven minutes from work. And so I went into my executive producer and I said, and I felt so awkward doing it. I went and I said, hey, my son's Mother's Day tea is today. Do you think I could just leave for lunch hour? Just go. I'll be back within the hour. And he just sort of looked at me and he's like, be back in an hour. No. And it was like, I will, I will, I will, I will. And so I remember running to the tea. And, you know, when kids do the Mother's Day tea at preschool, they made us hats, you know. And oh, they sing put, songs. They it's sing, wonderful. It's the sweetest little thing. And you're sitting at their little desks and it's at their little tables. So I just remember the stress of feeling like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay, here's the hat. I got the hat on. Got the picture. Got the picture. Yeah, I got the picture. Great. You know, it's just sort of that frantic, like, I've got to get through this kind of thing, which yeah. I hated. I just hated feeling that way. And I don't know that mother stayed much longer than I did, but I know I was the first one to leave. And yeah. so, and, and the whole time, super stressed, you know, just super stressed because I've got a show that's going live in three hours. You know, so it's like, gosh, that was too much. But it was, this article sort of hit me in, in a weird way because I do remember that feeling. And again, I go back to, I can't sort through whether it was self-imposed or imposed by the people around me, which I don't think it was to not have any pictures. In fact, I'm sure it wasn't. I just know that that wasn't a conversation that was happening around me. And it was interesting to think about my mom was the opposite. And you would think for a woman who's building her career in the 60s and 70s, 
it wouldn't be. So she was totally open and always talking about you guys. Totally open because she was such an outlier. She was the rare woman. I could go over the stories. I mean, she came up against her share of sexism. But in terms of she worked at a small-town newspaper when I was a little kid, I can remember going and sitting in the corner at work with her. So she would bring me to work when, for whatever reason, daycare didn't work out. I can't even imagine doing that with my 5-year-old at CNN, bringing them into the office and sticking them in the corner. She, when she became, she was, she was in public relations, my routine coming home from school, she worked full time, my routine coming home from school was every day I would call her secretary yeah. and her secretary would find her and put me through. Yeah. And she would sort of go over the day with me. And she always says, when she looks, I have three older sisters that are all working moms. And she said, you know, I don't know that I could have done it the way you girls have. She said, my job was just, and she was a vice president of a big public relations firm. She said, my job was strictly nine to five. Yeah. Nine to five. And she never brought work home. So I think it was just a different day, but it was funny to me to think that I was the one that was feeling self-conscious about kids. She was one of the first women sort of in that kind of position. Not at all. That's so crazy. Yeah, it's very weird. It's very weird. But I, do you have girlfriends that go through this or not so much? I have girlfriends, but it's with different, different things. I have a girlfriend who's an attorney. She's the corporate counsel for a big company. Oh, and that's a big job. It's a big job. It's a big job. And she tried to stay home and then realized that being home was not going to work for her. And she's a mom of three kids. Mm. And, and she said that she, we've talked about this, that being, having children at work for her is tough. She remembers being in a meeting where they were talking about either hiring or promoting someone. And they were discussing if they were going to promote or hire. I think, no, it was promote this woman. They were discussing if they were going to promote this other woman. And someone in the meeting said, yeah, but she had a baby this year. Whoopsie. As in like, I don't know if we can really consider her as like a fully performing person here because she had a baby this year. And my girlfriend was like, are you kidding me? Like, you can't even say that. You shouldn't even be saying that. But yeah. so I think it definitely depends. I have I have another girlfriend who works in like private equity stuff. I mean, yeah. it's like big. I mean, she went to Harvard Business School. It's like big deal. And we've talked a lot about when she decides to have children and and she's talked about how that process is going to work for her and it's more complicated than others that I mean it will 100% have to be a nanny handling almost all of it. Yeah. Because the hours and the stress and the way that she has to work is just insanity. So it's it's definitely interesting. I What I thought was fascinating about this article that you found is that she was talking about how researchers have done these studies about the motherhood penalty. And in the article, she says a systematic disadvantage working mothers face that affect how competent they're perceived to be, how much they get paid, and their likelihood of getting a promotion. A study by the Harvard Kennedy School, when you're a mother in the workplace, you're held to a higher standard and have less room to fail. In contrast, having a child all often helps a man's career. Yeah. And, and I, I can totally see that. 
which is so weird to me. And it goes back to that idea of equity in parenting, that it shouldn't be a bonus to a man's career if it's not to a woman's if you are an equal partner in raising your children. That's, right. that's, that's, that's what that says to me, is the perception still is, is, oh, great, he's a dad that says such wonderful things about him, not, oh, that means he's not as fully committed to his job. Because right. I, think, I think even if subliminally people still think, oh, he's a dad, that makes him more stable and a better employee because he has mm-hmm. to provide for his family. Yes, Do you that's see exactly I mean? right. It's that's so exactly weird. right. It's so weird when so many women I know are equally in the game of providing for their families. Most people I know depend on both incomes. Right, you're exactly right. Or even the women are making more money than the men. You Absolutely. know, the one thing that I think I have had to my advantage is that I had kids later. Mm-hmm. So I had Bernadette when I was 33, and Franklin was my geriatric pregnancy when I was 35. <laughs> and so, so having kids later and, and the fact that I committed to my career very early. So, I mean, I started working in television when I was 21. Yeah. And so I had 12 years under my belt of working in the same career, meaning that I was really established. You know, I'd made it to a major market in news and then transitioned into Twin Cities Live in a role that I was really settled in. And I had even had time in that role to prove my worth and my value. And, And so I think that was a big advantage for me because then when I had a baby, it was sort of like I'd been saying yes to everything For so long. I mean, Marjorie, there was a time during Twin Cities Live, I was in every parade across the nation. (laughs) Not across the nation. But I mean, I I said yes to everything. I probably had appearances or meet and greet things three to four nights and weekend events a week and working, you know, my normal nine to five day. Right. And then when it, when I got married and had a baby, I mean, we'd, we'd established the show and we'd grown the show. I mean, it was such a grassroots, like every person, can we shake your hand and say, Hey, here's who we are. Will you please consider watching our show? Please, 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 you please, know, please. And once we'd created a brand and something recognizable and something with a following, then I was able to say no to things. And that happened to coincide exactly with me having children, which was really great. Yeah. But I get that not every woman has that situation. Well, well, I think there's you had equity. You yes. had equity and you had established value. And I do think that's part of the beauty of having children later in life is that does give you a certain amount of power within your own career and because your value is clear. And I think when you're doing the climb, especially like if you're looking at any, you know, anybody young in their career, the only way you get to the next level, if that's your goal, is to say yes to everything. Yeah. It's to work that hard. And I, so I think that's when it gets complicating is if you're trying to climb whatever ladder you're on, whatever industry you're in, that's a, that's a much trickier thing to do when you're at the younger end of your career because you totally. haven't proven your value to anybody. No, and, you haven't. And, and so you're just trying to get there. Yes. Yeah. And, then, and then it does. I mean, there is, you have to acknowledge that, I mean, the beginning years of parenting are more stressful on your career than other years. I mean, it's just, if I get a phone call that my child is sick, we have to be at daycare within an hour. Yeah. And then they're kicked out for the next day. Yeah. And the brutal truth of me as a parent, and this feels very bad to say, <laughs> but we are in a safe space, is that my first thought when I get a call that my child is sick 
is not, is my child okay? Yeah. It's, oh my gosh, what am I going to do tomorrow? Yeah, you're not alone. When they can't go to daycare. Yeah, you're not I alone. mean, that feels, that feels like sad to say. <laughs> well. It feels very sad to say. Oh, sweetie, it is sad to say. <laughs> but it's, it is the reality of trying to live both lives at the same time. And it's those trade-offs that you have to make as a working mom of those painful acknowledgments of, like, I value both. It doesn't mean that you don't love your children. It doesn't mean that, of course, you want to make sure that they're safe. I mean, I know it, it, it doesn't I at promise all. you, I'm not even drinking wine right now, Marjorie. I mean, there's not even a wine glass here. I have a silly spin drift. <laughs> Well, I mean, one of the hardest things, one of the hardest things for me was, and I, it still is hard to think about, was when my son was in third grade and he fell flat on his, he was carrying somebody on his shoulders, which he should not have been doing. He slipped in the mud, (laughs) fell face first onto the cement and cracked his two front teeth. And so I get an emergency call from the nurse who says, look, your son is here, he's bleeding, he's lost some teeth. And they were his two front teeth. So this is now life-altering because now he's got two cracked front teeth. And I called my husband right away, who luckily was doing a radio show at the time, and his show was done, and said, hey, actually, I think now that I think back, this is where my husband is my handy memory. I think they called him first. Yeah. And my husband called me, and I was like, "I'll, I'll be there right away. And he's like, no, 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 no. I've got this. I've got this. And he did have it. And it was all taken care of. And his teeth, you know, they they did beautiful work on his teeth. But it was really hard for me in that moment, knowing how scared Gar was and how sad he was and how he even knew at age eight that he had done something that was going to be a big deal for the rest of his life. Yeah. And to know that I was opting to stay at work, even though my husband was telling me, you stay. I had a show going live at three. (laughs) So it was like, he's like, you stay. And I still to this day can't quite reconcile that decision. Now, does Gar harbor any anger with me? No, but I still feel like that's a moment where I should have been with him, even if it was his mother and his father with him. Yeah, yeah, I still feel like if I were a little kid, I would have wanted my mom there. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's always hard. It's always hard to sort of juggle those two things. Sick days are so stressful, as as is summer. That's that's one of the hardest things that I always, you know, when you talk about, like, what your thought process was when somebody called to say that Bernie or Franklin are sick, what's always hard is the idea that so many summers were stressful for me because it's like, oh, my God, what are we going to do with the kids? Right. And I, that wasn't even all their summers. I was really lucky because for a lot of them, I was still freelance, so I just didn't take any work. But so many mothers that I know, their first thought isn't excitement that summer's here. It's complete dread. <laughs> so it's, yeah it's true I mean I just think it's hard it's hard to reconcile those things and in the end it just goes back to your kids knowing that you love them and balancing it out and talking it through but this idea of hiding your kids at work is just one more stressor and yeah. I found so in all of this discussion I kept thinking last night I was thinking about okay so what are we supposed to do about that like for the women that do understand or do identify with that article about oh yeah I do I don't talk about my kids at work because I think the men at work or the other women at work will think I'll be less competent or I might not get a promotion because I have kids, you know, I have kids. I kept thinking, you know, what do we do with that? And I found, 
I just think you'll find this so interesting. So there was an article done by a woman named Emily Oster. She's an economist at Brown University and a mother. And the head, of, the, the title of the article was End the Plague of Secret Parenting. If mothers and fathers speak openly about childcare obligations, their colleagues will adapt. And you guys, I see this at Twin Cities Live. I yeah, love how much... Everybody in the workplace talks about their kids. Yeah. It feels like one big family, and I think you're so lucky. That's absolutely right, and it really is, and I think that's been a shift. And I will say I don't think at the beginning of the show that it was that way for the people who had kids because when the show started, most of the staff was super young, yeah, super young and single. I mean, I remember it being just like if I didn't have an appearance to do, it was where are we going to happy hour? Of course we're all going to happy hour. <laughs> and there were a couple people who had kids on the staff, and much to my dismay, I remember when it was like, oh, well, that person can't come in because their kid is sick. I was like, seriously? Seriously? <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, just because, and I don't mean that in like a dismissive no. way. It wasn't like I thought that they were less of a worker. I just thought like, boy, that's a bummer. And yeah. I just had no frame of reference for what that meant because I didn't have kids and so few of us had kids. And I think when I worked in news, People definitely didn't talk about their kids as much or they had to have a spouse who was the one who primarily took care of the kids right? because their working obligations were so nuts and nobody knew. And the hours hours are unpredictable. They're totally unpredictable. Every reporter, I mean, you have no idea when you're going to get home. You could be sent. I mean, when I was reporting, I remember reporting in Green Bay and I would have no idea. I could, in the afternoon, all of a sudden get sent up an hour and a half away to almost the UP of Michigan. Right. To have to do a live shot at six o'clock and then get home. And I remember feeling the stress about how to care for my dog. You know, I had a dog and it was like some days would go so long. And so I partnered up with one of the other reporters who worked at the station. He and his wife lived in my apartment, like little our little complex. And so we traded keys so that we could go over and try to help each other out. And so like my friend Jason would just go. He would just say, if he knew I got sent out on a live shot, a late live shot, he or Carly would just go over and let Henry out and take him for a walk for me because it just was so much. And I remember thinking, like, how would I do this if I had kids? And it's certainly true that there are different careers that because of that, it's either you've got to have another parent who is primarily taking care of the kids Right. Or you have to step back and you well, have to do something different. Or you have to have a job. And this is the point of this woman's article. You have to have a job where the culture is understanding of the fact that there are parents in the workplace. Yes. Which is insane that we even have to talk. Of course there are. But she yeah. says, it's so interesting. She quoted, there was a study of 26 women. And she said, the women returned again and again to the issue of secrecy. Hiding being a mother and engaging in strategies for secrecy were ubiquitous themes in our interviews, the authors wrote. Many women who had gone back to work tried to conceal that they had small children or pretended that their children's interests were of little importance to them. Mm. Crazy. She goes yeah. on to say, why would people do this? Why pretend kids are of little importance when work and parents 
parenting seem at odds because our culture tells us they're at odds, mothers and fathers feel forced to demonstrate their commitment to one, the work side, by minimizing their concern for the other, the parenting side. They do not want their bosses to think they are anything other than 100% committed. And I, I totally felt that way. But she says the solution, and this is what I love. She said, the answer is clear. Fight the culture that encourages secret parenting by not parenting secretly. Eventually, your colleagues will adapt. She said, this change cannot come from the lowest rungs of the organization. More senior employees must take the lead. Two kids in, I'm now a tenured full professor. I'm on the other side, so to speak. But my kids are still young, four and eight, and I value seeing them every day for dinner. I do not travel much. Not too long ago, I would have explained away my time constraints with other obligations or been vague about them. But I try consciously not to do that now. I tell people, I'm sorry, I do not do meetings after 5 p.m. because of my children. Or even, sorry, but today I'm leaving at 3.30 because I've been traveling a lot and I promised my kids I would come home to make cookies. And I particularly try to say things like that around more junior colleagues, those who might wonder whether it's okay for them to have these constraints. I have pictures of my kids up everywhere, and right now I'm looking at a child's mitten which has been sitting on my desk since sometime in December. One glance around my office, and you know I'm a parent. Yeah, there you go, because it just becomes part of who you are. Yeah, and and I see this, like I said, I see this in your workplace, and I think it's so refreshing. And it for, is and refreshing. It's wonderful. The thing that gets more complicated than this, though, is something that I've struggled with personally. And this had to do, Marjorie, with when when you and I ended our radio show run together. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we did our radio show together on My Talk 107.1. I thought it was three years. Apparently it was a year and a half. I don't know why it's helped so long. (laughs) Whatever. Anyway. 18 18 months, Elizabeth. Okay, 18 months. So when I I went on maternity leave. Which is a year and and a half. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I go on maternity leave for three months, which uh-huh. I don't. I think should be at least six months, but that's there. You go. Right. And I remember meeting with our radio bosses, who are wonderful, who are still my bosses right. at my talk 107.1. They're fabulous. And I met with them when I was on maternity leave. They came to meet with me to take me to lunch, and I brought Bernie in her car seat, and she sat on the car on the table sleeping during awesome. our meeting with them as they sat down with me and said in the most wonderful way because they are number one wonderful people and they yes also put out a great product and they and they value me which I feel and it's wonderful and they said to me okay listen you're coming back from maternity leave what do you want to do mm. we still want to have you on the 9 to noon show we want you to do that show but we understand if that's not going to work for you, and we want to come up with something that will work for you. Aww. And it was so great because I felt like they cared and they understood that this was a big transition. Right. And and so I said to them, and it was the first time, it was the first time in my career that I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I had said yes to everything, Marjorie. I mean, do you remember? I mean, when Ian was leaving radio and he was moving towards retirement for health issues and you guys needed someone to help and cover some of the morning show with you. And I would get up at five in the morning and dial in from my system at home and be on the (laughs) air with you. I said yes to everything. I said yes to everything. And I think that really contributed to me establishing my value and getting to where I am. But... 
it was the first time I had to say no. And I told them, I said, you know, this is the hardest thing that I have to say to you. I I have to say no. I yeah. just know that I'm not going to be able to do it. And that felt, I mean, that felt good and bad. And it took us a couple iterations to figure out what was going to work for me. Then I tried to do this other little stint on the radio yeah. station that was very challenging. And then and then I moved back to my, my original feature, which was three times a day, 10-minute hits, and, and then doing some fill-in, which has worked out beautifully. And that's where I've been ever since. But at the same time, I've thought about this, that like my, so my Twin Cities Live co-host, Steve, his wife is having their fourth baby in November. Right. So since I've known Steve, he had two kids when I met him, and then they went on and had a third just about after Bernadette was born, a little while, and then they're going on to have a fourth. And I can guarantee that there isn't a single time that he has been asked, you're having another baby, can you do this? Right. Do you want to do this? And it's so conflicting for me because on the one hand, I mean, I am so grateful that I was asked that and then I that conversation Cause, had with me. Many wom- many women women wouldn't have been. One hundred percent. Yeah. But at the same time, it also feels like for men in the workplace, that's never even a consideration. There would never be a consideration of can you do this or how is this gonna work right. when when they add another baby to the family. Now, family dynamics matter, and I have a husband who has a full-time, very demanding job, and Steve's wife is home with their kids. Right. So the division of labor is different, and the negotiations are different. And so, I don't know, it gets complicated, Marjorie, because see, it's like... Trust me, my career, if you look at the path of my career, all of it's about that question. Can you do it? Yeah. All of it. If you look at the trajectory of where I was going and what I wanted to do, I loved television. I couldn't do it. Yeah. I couldn't do it and be where I was and be the kind of and, – and have what I had envisioned I wanted. Now, I have wonderful friends in the news business that have raised amazing children and were able to balance it all. I wasn't. I just wasn't. And so I made other choices, and they worked out just fine for me. I mean, that was part of the choice of going into radio. It gave me the flexibility to really be around the kids a great deal, which is what I wanted. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think this, these are, in so many ways, these are complicated decisions that you just have to make all along the way. It's a constant navigation all along the way about where your family is at any given moment and where your kids are at any given moment. And I think for me, I look back with an enormous amount of gratitude that all along the way, I had decisions to make. <laughs> there, there are lots of women that are struggling in really, really hard jobs that they have no choice but to stay in. Yeah, they have no choice. And they have no financial security and no, no. financial freedom and no way to say, yes, I'm going to step back even if that means right. a cut because they're relying on it. You're right. I mean, when you talk about like these decisions that we've made, it's definitely coming from a place of privilege of what privilege. what type of privileges we've had in order to be able to make those decisions. But that being said, I do think that the the woman who is writing about this in, in the Atlantic is so right that it has to come, that culture shift has to come from the CEO and the vice president or even the barista at the coffee shop that they own to be able to feel like they can say, 
I've got to go. Yeah. I need this support or my child is sick. I mean, those types of standards have to start somewhere so that then everybody feels that culture within their company. In every profession, in mm-hmm. every single profession. And so I, I just think it's an interesting thing to think about and to talk about and this idea of this idea of no longer hiding that you have obligations beyond work is so important for young mothers, young working mothers to think about. And every family dynamic is different. If you choose to be a stay-at-home mom, that's a great decision. I made that decision part of along the way for myself. But in particular, if you're a working mom outside of the home, it can get complicated. It totally can. And I think the bottom line for me that I always learn when I talk with my sister who is home full-time or other friends who are home full-time and then other friends who are working full-time, I will tell you, Marjorie, my happiest most balanced, the women in my life that are the happiest and the most balanced are the ones that work three days a week. Yes. It is. I, it, I am like convinced. I am convinced yeah. that that's the holy grail, that the three day a week is the holy grail because, and then have your kids in childcare four days a week. Yep. So here's the thing. So that you can have one day oh, that, sounds that you good. can get everything done and you can feel like you get some time for yourself. And then the other days you are accomplishing whatever you want to accomplish outside of the home and you've got that social connection and you feel like you're your own person and then you still have that flexibility to be home with the littles. Because all of my mama friends out there who are home full time are oh, it's feeling like it's too much on one side and yeah. then a lot of us who are working full time outside of the home are feeling like it's too much on the other side. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, I love that. I love that. Three days a week, one extra day of daycare. That's a perfect solution. <laughs> if you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share it with a friend. And if you have a moment, please give us a review at Apple Podcasts. And please reach out to us like my friend Katie did in response to episode 60, Who You Gonna Call? That was our episode about our best marriage advice, the best marriage advice that anyone had ever given us. So Katie wrote, I wanted to share the piece of marriage advice my mother-in-law gave me when we got married, which has always amused me. Some people come to your house to see you. Some people come to see your dust. No, which is which. (laughs) That is great. You can find both of us on Instagram at Best of Best or at Eliz Reese and at It's Me Marjorie One. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. (laughs) Don't worry about the dust, Marjorie. (laughs) Thank you. It'll always be here. Hi, it's Kristen. Did you know that not doing things is easier than doing them? There's a lot of things to do, especially this time of year. But when you don't do things, there's more time to do things. Does that make sense? What I mean is when you use Shipt to get everything from gifts to groceries delivered same day, you have more time for the things you want to do. To not do things so that you can do other things, visit Shipt.com slash holiday. That's S-H-I-P-T dot com slash holiday.